All right, here we go. Episode 13. I don't know if you all saw the good news, but it looks like Mati is back. I've been hoarding mine for some time now. I got a couple cases right before they closed down, but now that I know that uh, that I can get them again, I might shotgun a few uh, in celebration. It's a good thing we have a healthcare professional in the house because uh, things could get weird. Anyway, my guest today is Rose DeMonico. Rose is the vice president of Durham Democratic Women. Like my last guest, she also grew up here in Durham and gave her childhood experience glowing reviews. Shout out to public schools. Before we get started, I have two requests for you. Number one, go and unsubscribe from all that crap in your email inbox and make room for your new favorite newsletter, which you can sign up for at buddyruski.com. And B, if you're not a patron of the Patreon, please consider checking out the page and becoming a fan, subscriber, patron. We had the biggest uptick in monthly subscribers ever last month, which is really exciting. So my sincere thanks to everyone who signed up and continues to support this show and the other work on the website as well. And thirdly, I'd love to hear how you're spending your time during quarantine. Are you still working? Did you pick up any new hobbies? I've been getting through a lot of albums that have been on my list for a long time. Reading a few books that I've been really enjoying. So I'd love to hear how you're able to keep yourself busy during this downtime as well. You can find me on social media at Buddy Ruski, or you can send me an email, justin at buddyruski.com. Last thing, if you see a profile for me on OnlyFans, I swear it's a fake account. But please don't report it. Today, my guest is Rose DeMonico. Uh, she is a Durham native. I just found that out like three minutes ago uh, and works uh, pretty extensively with uh, the Democratic Party here in Durham with DDW. And uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Uh, but first, I would love to just hear more about how you got here. Life in Durham, especially growing up in Durham, is, is pretty, I think, a pretty great place as a kid to just kind of like build your childhood and and grow and be part of all these different communities i just had a, f a friend of mine david mayer on the last show and he and i also grew up here together and played sports together wait a second i know him i'm 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 not surprised durham is pretty small even as it continues to grow uh the circles in durham run pretty tight so I, i'm <laughs> sure as we're we're talking more about your life in durham we're gonna rattle off some names that uh we're both going to know pretty well we already talked about our friend gabe before the show started so uh yeah tell us a little bit about your your life in durham growing up here uh and how that kind of shaped where we are today sure i think it's pretty cool you know that i i was born and raised here and i think things have obviously changed a lot and everyone who is from durham has seen that happen um kind of firsthand so, I mean, I really don't know any differently, I, you know, from people who were raised in other places, but um, I think it really became clear to me how um, different Durham was when I went to college and when you'd introduce yourself and you'd say, you know, like, oh, I'm from Durham. And I had a lot of people react like, oh, like, what was that like? You know, was that scary? Or in, uh, no, it's like any large city. Um, Where'd you go to school? Where'd you go to college? I went to undergrad at Appalachian State okay. in the mountains, uh, and then uh, I went to UNCW after that for graduate school. And so, you know, I don't know. I, I think, um, so I went to Burton GeoWorld. I don't know if you remember that, but that was a cool magnet school, or I think it still is. I don't know. I don't know how it's doing now, but... I'm having deja vu because David also went to Burton and we, I asked him the same well, question. I was like, is it a magnet school? I feel like it is, but. Well, you know, what's funny. David and I, I think we were quote boyfriend and girlfriend for probably a week or two when we were in, I think fourth grade. That I don't know if he remembers that. He probably forgot. It was very short lived and whatever you call boyfriend, girlfriend in elementary school. Um, but no, Burton was awesome. And and then went to Shepherd Middle School. And I think Shepherd is really the 
spark of where my interest in social justice and kind of criminal justice and political stuff all started. They offered this really cool program. Um, they had like a mock courtroom there. And so they did mock trials and we got to learn about like the in and outs of, um, I don't even really know, honestly, but I, I just know that we got to learn about crime and justice and how a courtroom operates. And we got to visit a prison, which was wild in middle school. I, I got to be a lawyer at one point in the mock trial. So I think it was, I don't know, it was really cool. I got, I think I got a good education in public school. Um, were either of your parents very involved in politics when you were growing up? So when I, when I was growing up, it's something that we talked about often. Um, current events, what I like to call important stuff. Like we just talked about important stuff at the dinner table. Um, they share their opinions on things. Um, just a really strong background, I think, in social justice and caring about other people, knowing your privilege. But no, I don't, my, my parents didn't, my mom didn't really get involved until, um, I, think, I don't know, I would say five, six years ago, honestly. And she started off um, with what she, what she says she's really good at, which is baking. And she started baking for people who are, were out volunteering and canvassing. And she slowly kind of worked her way into getting comfortable. And um, she's become really involved in volunteer work. And she is the reason that I actually got drawn into the Durham Democratic Women. She was a member and she said, um, you know, they need someone to be the vice president. You know, would you be interested? They want someone who's younger. And um, I was like, okay. So that's kind of how I jumped into that. But so I know we're kind of scattering all over the place, but um, so all, all thanks to my mom. Yeah, I, I had a similar experience, not just in my own family, but growing up in Watts Hillendale near EK Poe and School Science and Math. And a lot of the conversations, both with my peers, but also with other parents were like that as well, where current events were very much a topic of discussion and no one really held back or pulled any punches when it came to talking about important issues. And so we had a lot of freedom to speak our mind and have opinions and have those opinions challenged and learn new things. And so I'm very thankful for that. And that certainly started at home for me with both my, my mom and dad. You know, we, I feel like I had a lot of opportunity to just ask questions and be curious. Mm -hmm. And that got me pretty far in life. Um, even to this day, I think the way I see the world and my interest in in journalism comes from that curiosity that was built from from those conversations at home. So I think that's a great thing to instill in, in a young person is that curiosity in their community and the people around them. And so, and especially in public school, David talked about this too with Burton. You know, it's in a different, at least for me, Burton was not in my school district and it wasn't in David's and, and I'm not sure if it was in yours or not, but public school offers a rich diversity of backgrounds and people. So you're forced to confront these things pretty early on if you're a public school student. So you're having those conversations a lot earlier in life than, you know, and, and I, I'm making assumptions somewhat here, but if you go through private school and a lot of people looks similar to you, then, you know, it, it you don't have those opportunities. You might hear about them in the news or read about them in the paper, but you don't really, you're not really faced with them in the same way. Yeah. And what's so interesting about that too, is that even, and I don't know if you noticed this, but you know, I had friends from different races and backgrounds, but then when it came to actual social groups and like the time, you know, when you in the cafeteria or who you spend your time with privately, you're often with your own race. And I remember that is something my parents would bring up. Like, why don't you have friends, you know, why don't you have friends over that maybe like look different than you or something? And, and I did sometimes, but for the majority, you know, of time spent in school, it was almost kind of like it naturally segregated. Um, and I remember that something, I don't know if I want to say it bothered me, but just something I was aware of and noticed in school. You know, I, 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 it's something I wonder about of, you know, how do you even, how do you change that and how do you get people to start kind of mixing? And maybe it is different now. It'd be interesting to talk to someone who's in high school now and if that's not that big of a deal anymore. Yeah, I'm sure there are countless studies that can be pulled up about the dynamics of schools and just like districting and how that changes the makeup of a school. Because I know for me, when I, you know, growing up in, in Durham and in, in Watts Hillendale, 
most of my friends were, you know, middle class white families. And so, and that's like who I hung out with. And so even at school, if I had a diversity of, of friends at school, when I came home, those were the people in my proximity and, and we all had a lot of similar interests. So I didn't really ever think to go outside of my neighborhood to, to find, mm -hmm. to find friends. And, and I did some sports and, and music and stuff as a kid, but, but yeah, it was mostly just confined to my neighborhood. So even if my school group was super diverse, I think that to your point, you kind of just get pulled into these natural segmented populations. And yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure how that maybe has changed or evolved with with school now maybe technology makes it you know easier to connect with folks mm. my assumption is that most kids in high school now are just like tick-tocking back and forth to each other and they're not meeting <laughs> up anyway i um, can't okay i cannot stand tick-tock and so i i don't know what your opinion on that is but i feel like i don't know if i'm too old to understand what this is but i i was talking to someone about this recently of they started posting people's TikTok videos on Instagram and I didn't know what TikTok was at first. And I would click on one and I'd go down this rabbit hole. And one time I spent like an hour. I'm like, what am I watching? It's just people acting out scenarios and like from this point of view. And it was such a waste of time. And I know there are cool things about it, I guess, but I'm really glad I went to high school when I didn't have a smartphone and none of this was around. I think that's, I mean, talk about things that are informative for young kids. I, I feel the same way. I'm incredibly grateful that I saw all the stages of the internet as they happened in real time. And so there was a time in my life where I didn't have internet. There was a time where only the schools had internet. You know, there was home internet, but it was dial up. So only one person could be on it. And <laughs> you couldn't, you know, like your parents wouldn't want you on the internet because there weren't cell phones. So it's not like they could take calls while you were on the internet. And then even broadband, just, yeah, there were all these things that happened over time. And now kids are just flooded with information at all times, whenever they need it, whenever they want it. And I yeah. can't imagine trying to build good habits with that kind of tech access to technology. And they make them so that they're addicting, like they're inherently addicting. So, you know, you get and so I actually deactivated my social media about a week ago, and I'm really glad I did. I don't miss it. I'm not saying I'll never get it back, but it's been really nice. And I think the like what you just said of constant information, we have, you know, we can get, we can find out anything at any time, anything we want. But at the same time, people, that's true for everybody, so, right? So people who are scientists and can put out good, true information can put out something at the same time that someone is putting out that 5G is causing the coronavirus. You know what right. I mean? So I just couldn't take it. I was like, I'm done. I, it's, it's enough to deal with the real news and I can't deal with these jokers thinking they know what they're talking about. I'm out. Um, yeah. I mean, the only, you know, when I was growing up, you were, you were worried about kids smoking weed and, and drinking beer in, in the parking lot. And I don't know if being addicted to your cell phone is any, any better. <laughs> It might be worse, no. to be completely honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think kids are really struggling with depression and anxiety, and it's really sad. Weed really helps that. I'm, I'm, this is not a, <laughs> an endorsement. <laughs> no comment. But yeah, but you know, if you're in a state where you're old enough and it's legal, no. then I'm just throwing that out there. And it, and it should be. I mean, it should be legal for medicinal purposes, for, you know, it's just a stupid argument, when you, especially now during the coronavirus. Yeah. So you, so you said you went to Shepherd and then you ended up at Jordan. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And, and I, I was I, not districted for either. Oh, interesting. How mm -hmm. did you end up in that track? So I grew up in South Durham. So I was in Parkwood and I was di districted for Lowe's Grove, but my, because I went to the magnet school for elementary school, my parents wanted to kind of continue with that track. So Shepherd was in magnet school. So they wanted me to do that. They had those cool programs, foreign languages. And then um, I was districted for Hillside, but unfortunately it's a failing school and my parents just didn't want me going there. So how I got into Jordan was through the Animal Science program, um, which was great. I could do most of my projects like at my house because I grew up with horses. And so most people had to go find a farm to do stuff with or some kind of farming project. So that was a cool experience. That's pretty cool. I didn't know Jordan had that program. Riverside had 
engineering, I think was their big track, which was cool. Mm, and that's yeah. what it ended up doing was engineering for whatever reason. I don't really know why now that I think about it, neither my parents were engineers, but I did drafting and computer programming. And I guess I was interested in computers. So I had to mm. stay in that track, but uh, yeah, I don't know why I had to take drafting. <laughs> Did they, so was it like broken up into different kinds of like engineering 101? I mean, there's so many different kinds of engineers, so. Yeah, I guess maybe there wasn't back then. I think you just kind of got lumped together with all the other nerds if you were in the engineering (laughs) track. Because, you know, computer science and it was, it was a thing in 2006, but uh, it's not programming the way that we think about it now. I mean, I remember in college, I went to Winston-Salem State for a semester and took a computer programming class there after having taken two at Riverside and a couple other computer applications courses and stuff. And I took a computer programming language at at Winston-Salem State. I was just like, this is awful. Like, this is not cool. This is not interesting. This isn't sexy. I don't feel like I'm going to (laughs) turn into, you know, the next billionaire tech giant not that i would really want to be that either but it didn't really have the appeal that it would for a young high school student now um so yeah that that was a bit of a tangent but i don't know why i continued to be on that track i guess it just was like the flavor of the month for me and so i decided to do it well then you would have had to start over something new and that would have been more work and which i ended up doing more than once anyway so so i learned the lesson the hard way (laughs) science at Jordan were you uh you said you had horses on your farm as well were you doing sports at Jordan I did well I know they didn't have horse racing but (laughs) yeah no no horse racing I did um I got really involved in the dance program there funny because Miss White we can go there in a second the dance teacher at Jordan you know the whole scandal anyways I I was um, very interested you don't? Okay. Well, she's currently in prison. Um, but I, um, so I did dance. It was a dance class. So it was a part of the school day, but um, we were encouraged to choreograph and get involved. And I just loved it. I soaked it right up and would stay after school. And so I really loved the dance program there. And then I, um, I grew up kind of as an active kid doing kind of all the sports. Um, soccer was never a strong point for me. But I did like basketball, you know, Parkwood Athletic Association. That's what I grew up doing. So I did softball, basketball, um, tennis. So in high school, I played tennis my for my junior year. And it, it was kind of a joke. It was laughable. We were really bad. And we were all, it, we were all good natured and it was really fun. Um, but we would go, you know, I think it was some team in Chapel Hill that was really, really good. And it always is. Yeah, it always is freaking. And they're so serious. I'm, I'm saying. So we would get out there, and we were kind of like joking around, and it was probably embarrassing. It was probably not cool or funny. We were just really embarrassing ourselves. But we did try to make friends. You know, we weren't very competitive. And what are you guys doing this weekend? And um, I think just focused on the social part of it and not winning. <laughs> so Which is I mean, very I healthy. My, yeah, but we didn't win often. I did. I was. I was the number three doubles player, me and um, this girl Maddie. And so it was fun. But then I didn't, I didn't do it again. Yeah, I did a couple sports in high school as well. I played soccer in middle school and then sort of transitioned out of soccer to basketball in high school. And uh, but I also ended up running cross country for three years somehow. I was never really a runner. But I think for the same reason, I had friends on the team and I wasn't really doing anything in the fall because basketball is a winter sport. And so I was just like, all right, sure. Yeah. There's like, you know, I have friends on the team. There are girls that I like, like, sure. It's just running. Like how hard <laughs> cool. can it be? Yeah. And uh, so do you hate running now? I despise it. Yeah. I, I don't like, running. <laughs> I never really liked running. I, 
my first season on the team at Riverside, I had a buddy of mine, Zach, who I ran with. And most of the time we would run into the woods with everyone else and we would just kind of hang out, you know, get into some shenanigans and then run back, not first, but like fifth and sixth. So it looked like we were kind of good. And then, (laughs) and then that would be the end of practice. And, uh, but I ended up lettering my senior year. So I must've learned something. Did you, was it through your wood activities that got you into that position? Uh, no, I think I ended up, uh, so Zach, I don't think ran after that first year. And I think not having, I'm not going to throw him under the bus because we were in that together, but I think breaking from those habits allowed me to uh, find some other teammates that were maybe taking running a little more seriously. Um, <laughs> so, so that, that helped, but you enjoyed your experience at Jordan. I had a good time in high school. I feel like I was really focused on the social part of it. I Elaborate on that. When you say when you say really focused on the social part, what what exactly are <laughs> you uh, implying there? So, when I look back on my education, college is where I think I really learned how to study for a test, and like I really truly cared about what I was doing. And I think it's because you get to choose kind of what you're studying. So it's like, oh, this is really interesting. Um, I'm going to prepare for this and I want to do well and, you know, just really taking it seriously. But in high school, I did well. Like I, I took a couple of AP classes, got through them, but, um, I don't think I actually studied, studied until I got to college, but, um, I just really enjoyed like dance again was a big thing. And then it makes me reflect on if I were in high school right now, trying to finish out my senior year, the pain I'd be feeling of not being able to be like how important that social group is. And I don't know. I, I like to go to parties on the weekends, you know, like that was a big deal. Yeah. I, I agree. I was the same way. And, you know, thankfully I had a lot of friends within walking distance of my house. So in this scenario, you know, I'd probably still be able to see a couple of them here and there, but not, mm-hmm. you know, all the high school kids now that won't be able to go to their senior proms and, you know, maybe didn't have senior night for their, uh, the teams they play on just all those checklist things that you do as a senior that some of them aren't going to get I certainly feel for them because those were some of the you know better moments of my high school experience as well yeah it's it's sad I know yeah we had like senior camp out senior skip day all that stuff it seems such like such a long time ago but you only had um, one senior skip day I think I might have had like senior skip semester Okay, so I, although I was focused on the social life, I really, really cared about what my teachers thought about me. So I never skipped school. I think I, I don't think I ever skipped school in high school. Now that I think about it. No, I never did. That's, that's I really impressive. care. I don't, I don't want to disappoint people. So um, I don't know. That is pretty impressive. I'm, it's a miracle. But um, yeah, I think the first class I ever skipped was in college and I did it on accident. I slept, I was taking a nap and then I, I didn't wake up in time. And I got so nervous. I'm like, Oh, you're an adult. Like you can, it's okay. You know? So did you skip, you skipped the greater part of your senior year? Uh, no, I was maybe exaggerating a little bit. So what was cool about <laughs> journalism at Riverside, I only did it my senior year. I, I wish I could have gone back and done it more, but I got into journalism a little bit late. Um, but we, the way our lunch schedule was set up, we were allowed to, basically take any lunch we wanted during that period. So, cause we had press passes essentially. So we could mm-hmm. just kind of wander around the school. And so a lot of times we would, and I'm going to make sure that Steve Unruh, who was my teacher then make sure he doesn't hear this part, but I'm sure he knew <laughs> that we would often say like, okay, we need to go do an interview with like, you know, cosmic cantina uh, about a, a story yeah. in the paper or like go try and sell ads you know, out in, in town for this school newspaper and just kind of be gone like third and fourth period. Um, so we, we, it wasn't a total skip. It was just an abuse of power. Being that sounds awesome class. though. No, it was, it was great. It was great. And, and again, I think high school to your point is an opportunity for young adults just to learn more about themselves before they get thrust into the real world. And so the more, restraints you put on them I think the worse it lashes back as you get older and you know some restraints are good but I think I had a healthy amount of freedom that I didn't take for granted yeah and I think that's also true with 
how people are raised and what their family life is like. I know going to college, um, you know, seeing, seeing around new friends who they were never allowed to drink, for example, and now like a college party is their first time ever being exposed to alcohol and kind of what that doesn't usually turn out so good. Um, and so I don't know, I, I think both allowing some freedom in a class setting and then also, you know, having structured guidance from your parents it goes a long way. Did you continue to do things? You mentioned there being the law sort of debate class at Shepherd. Did they have that at Jordan or some sort of equivalent? And did you carry that at all into college? I don't remember there being anything really close to what they offered in, at Shepherd Middle School, but I do remember taking a civics course. I think it was Mr. Burns who taught it. And I loved that class. Some people might think, oh my gosh, that sounds so boring, but he was a really good teacher and it really stuck with me. I remember one of the assignments, we had to rewrite the U U.S. Constitution. And maybe it was a section of it, because that sounds kind of ridiculous, but I remember it being a huge project and we had to hand write and rewrite in our own words. And that worked really well for me because that's kind of how I study and how I learn by being able to teach something. So by putting in your own words, you're now being able to teach it to yourself and it just sticks with me. So I remember just being, I don't know if fascinating, fascinating is the word, but um, I was good at it. And I really, I don't know, I liked it. I liked learning how government structure worked. And I think I also have just always had kind of a passion for social justice and you know, those, kind of, those have to go kind of hand in hand. And then in college, I minored in criminal justice. So I majored in political science, minored in criminal justice. Honestly, I didn't have some big grand life scheme of like what I was going to do with it. I just knew I, I like this. I think I'm pretty good at it. And then I thought maybe I'd go to law school. So I just kept, I kind of took, you know, political science kind of took over the majority of what I studied. And um, then I kind of went down the rabbit hole of studying international government and being able to compare different kinds of government and I think it's been really useful, um, a really useful backdrop for kind of understanding what's going on in the world and uh, having that context in mind of like what are other countries doing and why you can and can't compare certain countries for certain reasons and kind of endless knowledge you can, you can read about. Do you ever consider a career with the CIA? That was something I thought about when I was thinking like, well, what could I do with it? So no, not seriously, but um, I did. I, you did? With yeah. your engineering degree? Well, yeah, exactly. No, I was always really <laughs> interested in uh, in detectives. Like all the shows I watched when I was a kid were uh, detective shows like Batman, um, Scooby-Doo, I consider a detective show. I just was like really interested in detectives. I thought you were say true crime. <laughs> no, no, I was not. Scooby-Doo. Uh, yeah, it was a little, uh, Scooby-Doo was like the most elevated level of true crime that I was dealing with. Uh, at that age but yeah and maybe that's what led me to journalism was that same itch towards uh, investigating and, and understanding yeah but, but yeah I always thought working in one of those sort of like espionage careers would be, yes. be kind of cool no I, I did too I mean I think it's fascinating to try to understand what someone is thinking when they've done something when they've committed a crime especially like serial killers, you know, like shows like that. I feel like a lot of women really like that stuff. And maybe I'm just making up a huge stereotype, but a lot of my girlfriends really love that kind of stuff. And for me, it's like, I just, I'm so fascinated by what goes on in people's minds when they're committing a crime or really doing anything. Like I try to just think of, I wonder what, what their motive is to do this or, um, but you know, CIA was never, you know, then I'd have to learn how to hold a gun and I wasn't really interested in that. You're right about motivations being, and I think this gets to sort of the heart of politics really in, in this country is there's a, there's the conversation about sort of like the political machine and how it functions and, you know, why specifically why the two parties operate mm -hmm. the way that they do. But I don't know that we spend enough time thinking about the motivations of the individuals and what makes them vote the way that they do and make the choices that they do and, and how that 
informs these bigger sort of sweeping things that we sort of apply to to both parties and just sort of the political apparatus in general, particularly, you know, with it being an election year, it's something that I think about pretty often. And, and that my friends and I have conversations around is like, you know, we make sweeping judgments. I'm a pretty liberal person and will often find myself making strong judgments against the stereotypical Republican or the stereotypical Trump voter and just say, oh, these people are idiots. They, you know, they voted for Trump. How, how stupid could they be? They, you know, are voting against their own interests. They mm-hmm. have no idea what's going on. They believe these 5G coronavirus conspiracies. You know, it's, it's not fair, yeah. really. It's not, it's not the, the well, way to approach. Sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just not a, um, I don't know where you move forward from that. And I think a lot of it has to do with us not understanding the motivations of people that are not like us. And it was something that David and I talked about, where even in Durham, as progressive as as the city is, there are still pockets of Durham that are segregated in race, in economic equality, in other values. And that's something that we have to, to grapple with. And I'm with you because I think it is important to understand at the individual level what someone is thinking, what motivated them. And I think it's important to understand that people aren't born inherently evil and bad and racist. And um, that is something that's a learned behavior. And when you, you kind of have to take it away from the individual level because it's a societal level problem. I mean, there are, I mean, Trump is our president. He won for a reason because enough people voted for him, plain and simple, or enough people just didn't come out to vote for Hillary. And I think, you know, we're living through a political climate that this is totally new. I mean, the political divide has never been so black and white. And I don't mean that by race. I mean, just total opposites and what we believe and how strongly we feel. And I think it's at the point for me personally, I cannot have a good conversation with someone who is a Trump supporter. It's like we differ on moral issues and you're willing to pass legislation that directly impacts certain people. And, and like, and you're trying to take away rights because of how you feel emotionally, women's abortion, you know, right to have an abortion. Um, Roe v. Wade is at risk. You know, that, those kinds of things, like these are real things that are going to impact I don't know. Some people might not feel them directly, but a lot of people will. And so it's kind of hard for me to like think of having a sit down conversation with someone who really does support himself. Like what planet are you on? How, how can you think this way? And I think there are maybe like two groups of people. There's the group of people who like the financial benefits they're getting from this administration. And I think I can sympathize with that a little bit more than the people who voted for him because he just says what he wants and he wants to get tough on immigration and he, um, you know, gets tough on China and all this stuff that I think it's these kind of false promises from him because he knows it rouses them up. And I don't know, it's something I struggle with often of, you know, how, how can we not, how can I not hate people that feel this way? And that feels really uncomfortable and icky for, you know, to feel that way. So, but how, how do we move forward? I don't know. I think the first step is Trump not being our president. <laughs> So we can all start healing. <laughs> How so? So you majored in political science at Appalachian State. Did you go to grad school for the same same degree? No, I uh, I went to grad school for criminology and sociology, and I didn't even know that was a field of study until my senior year in college. And I said, "This is what I'm going to do." I didn't even know this was a thing. And I did that it. was it was it in grad school that? Um, where you sort of, where your involvement in politics, aside from just being a politically active citizen, uh, is that where it got turned up a notch? Is that where you started to become thinking more about, okay, what organizations am I going to be a part of? Yeah. You know, how am I going to spend my time uh, aside from just, you know, going out and voting? That's a good question. I think what's important to me is something that is impactful. And so when you go to grad school, and this is kind of my under my thinking of it, and people might disagree, but you can kind of choose two pathways, you can continue going down the academic road road and 
you know, you teach and you maybe really look in, there's some really, you can go down a deep rabbit hole of theory and that can get, get abstract. And it's, it's really great to, to work your brain that way and to expand it, your, your mind and your thinking. Um, but for me, that's important as a foundation. But then for me, I'm like, okay, well, how do we make this actionable? How can I actually directly impact things that I care about? And so that's when I realized, like, okay, well, what organizations do this? And so the ACLU, the American Civil Liberties Union, that's one, one organization that, that does that. You know, they stand up for people's constitutional rights. And so that, I applied to a job there. I didn't get it um, right out of grad school. And they missed so out. I think, yeah, I, you, go, you tell them that. But no, I mean, I would have lived, it was a job in Denver, Colorado, which sounds really, really cool. But I'm I'm glad I'm I'm where I'm at now, um, and working for a company that does really impactful work, so it feels it feels good. I don't remember what the exact term is, but I I read it was either in the New York Times or the New Yorker recently, basically contrasting uh, people who talk a lot about politics and are very academic in their approach to politics, both people whose careers are in academia, but also just the average citizen who can, Mm -hmm. you know, and I would probably consider myself in this category for the most part, who's like really good about tweeting their disdain for things and, (laughs) you know, chatting with their friends in, in group texts about how shitty things are. But then when it comes down to like, okay, do you want to go out and protest? Do you want to go out uh, and like canvas for this, you know, particular politician or this particular issue, uh, we're, we're less inclined to go out of our way to, to make those changes. And so I wonder, going back to motivations, I, you know, I wonder what it is that's preventing people aside from just their time from being not just, you know, at home spewing all their uh, complaints versus actually getting involved in and taking action in a more meaningful way. And that, and that's, you know, at all levels, at the individual level, and also just at the um, sort of at the political level at the very top as well. I think that's the million dollar question that I don't know. You know, I have friends that probably, that I know I've bugged where I said like, please come to this event, you know, and some of them come, but I know it's because I'm there, I'm asking them to come, like, please, I'll buy you a beer afterwards, like, please come to this event. Um, and other friends who are just good friends and they'll come. I, I don't know. I think people feel it's so distant from them that we are so privileged to have that distance where we can choose not to vote. And, you know, I could not vote, not do any, any of the things I do, and I would be unaffected probably. You know, like I probably wouldn't notice a difference in my day-to-day life. And, but that's not the point. It's because you, gen, you know, it's like I, I care for other people and I, I can't just, I can't live my life knowing that people are out there suffering and there is something I could do about it. I could use my voice. I could use what I studied and um, to use. And honestly, it's not that, it's not that hard. It's intimidating at first. And I was intimidating. My mom is the one that kind of like, come on, like come with me to this meeting, you know? And I think it just takes that one friend or mom or relative or someone to say, like, come do this with me. Um, you know, it's something new and it's, it can be intimidating, but then you kind of just get your feet wet and you're like, oh, this is, it's not hard. It's just new. Um, so I think what I've tried doing is slowly on an individual level, getting my friends to join me. Like I got Ruth to come to a DDW thing and, and that was great. And I think that was the relatively new thing for her. And, you know, she's much, I think she's more into politics now. I'd like to think, and I'm not saying that to give myself credit. It's just like, I truly, it makes me happy to know, like when people realize like, oh, this is really important. I should care about this. And um, I think another thing too, as I'm rambling on is that some people don't understand the use and just like keeping up with politics by reading it. Cause like, well, what does that do? Like, it's just going to get me in a bad mood. And it's like, well, that's true because there's a lot of bad news coming out in the news, but if there's still something important about reading and knowing what's happening and then communicating with friends, I think that like you just said, that's something you do. You share information, you, you ask your friends and talk about it. And I don't know. I think of it kind of in an extreme way, which is like, that's even a privilege. There are some countries where they don't have the freedom to share information like that. They don't have the freedom to express their disdain with their government. And what a, what a lucky position we're in that we have that chance and we have a chance to go protest in the street. And yeah. 
Yeah, I want to give a shout out to my buddy Varun, who I met recently through American Underground. He uh, has a business that he started and was one of the folks that worked out of the space and is involved politically and was getting groups together before the COVID sent everybody home for mm-hmm. uh, Sunrise Movement, which you may be familiar oh, with. Is the um, It's a global movement. It's not really an organization so much as it is like a call to action for climate change. And it's a group that I had seen on social media, Greta, whose last name I can't mm-hmm. remember now. Thornburg. Is it Thornburg or is that from a TV I feel like show? that's the TV show, but I think it's similar. <laughs> um, it is, was a big proponent of it. And it's basically just like a, this grassroots movement where you try to get five or 10 of your friends to set up these strike circles is what they're called. And essentially you just operate within that circle. It doesn't, you don't try to make it this huge uh, chapter, but essentially if mm-hmm. you get 10 people in your circle and somebody else gets 10 in theirs, then it becomes this really big movement over time organically. And there was going to be a big uh, opportunity to do some stuff around Earth Day, which unfortunately got squashed. Um, although it seems mm-hmm. like the Earth had a great Earth Day. I, I'm very yeah for uh, for our Mother Earth in that regard. Um, but to your point about having friends that kind of nudge you, I, I, I would say Varun was that person for me thinking about, okay, I talk a lot about climate change and the things I don't like. What am I actually doing every day to to change my behavior and try to change the minds of others? And so it's it's nice to have people that are that can approach you in a way that is not combative, but just says like, hey, here's more information. I know you care about this issue let's see if we can do something about it together. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I don't, I I need to look into that organization. I think too, what I try to use to impact people's decisions in terms of like why you should get involved is I like, I like, and this is true for me too, of, um, you know, is what I'm doing, does it matter? Does it do anything? Like in, so we know voting obviously does, and although it might feel insignificant because you're one person, it does matter. But I really, I like when organizations say, like, this is what we did in 2018, and this is how well it works. Excuse me, can you go away? Um, there's a, so, like, You Can Vote is a nonpartisan uh, political group, and they just try to get people to vote. I mean, and, and also raise awareness of your right to vote. A lot of people think that because they have a felony charge and their record that they can't vote anymore, and that's not true, you know, things like that. So groups where they have done impactful work for me, it's like, okay, and this is something I, like, I'm still learning as I keep moving forward in this journey. Like, I'm, I still consider myself very new to the whole political world and, and volunteering, even though I'm the vice president of DDW. Like, there is, and the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And so it can feel kind of overwhelming of how much there is to learn. So just understanding that you, what you're doing actually is making a difference. And so when I went canvassing this past year, the first time I did it was in 2018, but I remember feeling like this feels like I'm invading people's privacy and like most people don't even answer their doors. Like, am I even doing anything? But there's been people who have done research and there um, are data out there that show that it does work. It, it, it is effective. And so even leaving materials at people's door matters and it makes a difference. And so when I have that information, I take that and tell everybody, I'm like, it is working. Like sign up for it with me. It's a good thing to do. It's worth your time. And I think there's something to be said too about getting to know your community as well. If if anything, canvassing and just being involved allows you to connect with people. And this goes back to what we talked about, you know, growing up and going to schools that had different groups that weren't like what we're used to in our neighborhoods, perhaps. You start to understand those motivations and you start to understand why people aren't voting or why they're choosing to vote the way that they are. And you realize, oh, okay, like they're not an idiot. Like I said, they are, or they're not lazy <laughs> or they're not this, then their motivations are different than mine, or they don't have the information that they need to make the choices that they ultimately want mm-hmm. to make. And so, um, yeah, there's something to be said around community organizing and what it can do, not just, for your ultimate political outcomes, but 
just for building communities in general. I think that unfortunately, so much of our politics now happens online and through social media and through, you know, other communication channels as opposed to face-to-face and in-person and in our, you know, neighborhood association groups and, you know, just knocking on our neighbor's doors and saying, hey, have you heard about this? Hey, you know, do you want to come to this, this meeting with me around water rights in Durham or whatever it is? And so uh, I hope that maybe we can get back to that, particularly, you know, this thing that we're experiencing now with the coronavirus, I think will push more and more people to want to be out uh, and connect with others (laughs) on the other side of this. And so maybe there's some momentum there that we can leverage to get people to reintroduce themselves to their communities. Something hopeful that I read today on NPR about voting is, I think it was a study by Harvard, and um, it was showing that young people are more like, they're saying they're they're more willing to vote this fall because they feel like their lives are directly impacted by the outcome of this election. And so I think that's a big deal. And although we didn't see the same turnout in the primaries, you know, recently, we I don't know. I think it feels. I do feel some hope that the young people will come out and vote. So I don't know. It, it feels like I want to be doing stuff that's productive and helpful and motivating for people. And there's also like just this like I'm not even religious, but it feels like I almost just want to pray and be like please like just let something happen that's good. And what what's happening to us now with the coronavirus almost feels biblical. You know, it's like everyone just slow down and like the environment needs to heal. We need to stay at home. And I don't know, these series of events have made me, you know, think in that way. Yeah, I'm with you. I, that was the first thing that I thought when, when we all had to stay at home was, you know, the earth is going to benefit a lot from this. And I almost wonder if the earth created, I mean, this is, this, it sounds like a conspiracy theory, but I, I do think there, that the earth works in mysterious ways. And it that's not conspiracy. It's it's yeah. It didn't create the coronavirus, but something makes me believe that it's like, hey, humanity is kind of spiraling out of control. We need to get a hold of this. And so, to your point, this time off, hopefully, will you know? I don't want to undervalue or like underestimate all the terrible things that the virus has done and and all the people that have suffered from it. But I do think that there will be some benefits on the other end from us. Mm-hmm just slowing down. I know it's been worked tremendously for me in that way, being able to have more time to read and just like be thoughtful. Like I don't feel like I have to rush and do anything every day. And I can just kind of be with my thoughts and think more deeply about myself and how I want to sort of go back out into the world on the other end of this. And so I hope everyone feels like they can take some time for themselves because they deserve it. And there are people that are far more deserving of it than I am. Yeah, I I think the only thing we have is hope and thinking of what can I do to stay well and positive. And I, I feel like you and I are, are lucky in that all we really have to do is stay well. You know, we, we have a roof over our heads and we have resources and um, time to focus on those, you know, internal reflection. Um, but I think also not feeling, I think it's important for me at least to understand that, Yes, you do have all this time to do this, this, and this, and um, but to not feel this pressure. And I've seen a lot of articles about it. Of you know, just because you have all this time in your home all the time doesn't mean you should be you know writing novels and becoming a sous chef. And you know, like this is we're grieving and we're going through something so devastating that it's going to you don't have to you know accomplish these huge goals, and that's okay too. Um, but still staying healthy. I've really enjoyed being at home with my dogs. Like, I think I'm becoming even weirder of a dog mom. It's just the three of us. <laughs> so hopefully I have normal social skills when I come out of this. <laughs> you just got to be whistling at everyone and... and no, I talk to color. them. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's... I yeah. guess that's not weird. Uh, <laughs> you know, give it a couple more weeks, a couple more months. We'll see how yeah. you're doing then. Yeah, check on me then. and we'll, we'll find out. Well, thanks so much for, for being on the show with me today. And I uh, really enjoyed getting to learn 
even more about your background and sort of what, what motivates you. If you could direct people who are listening to, whether it's to the, the DD, your work at DDW or any sort of anything else that you're working mm-hmm. on that you want people to know more about, where would you want to direct those folks? You know, that's, it's kind of difficult. So the thing that's at the top of my mind is um, as this situation evolves, you know, we do have an election coming up and we're still going to be in the situation in November. So I think what DDW will be doing is figuring out very efficient ways to get information to people on how we will vote, you know, and I think what I have heard so far, um, and I need to look into this, um, I admit I take long breaks from not looking into the news for my sanity, um, but I need to double check on this, but I think we'll be able to do mail-in ballots in the fall, and it might be the case that people should start requesting those mail, mail-in ballots, um, so don't hold me to that right now, but I think just kind of maybe start looking around of what voting will be like in the fall and kind of preparing for that, because if everyone is going to have to do that kind of mail, you know, that kind of voting, um, that process will need to kind of start soon. Um, so I think everyone maybe just do a quick Google search and, you know, like voting in North Carolina. Um, but DDW, I think, will um, probably host some online events that will give that information. So go to the DDW website and sign up for the newsletter and you'll get info because we can't have public Zoom anymore. We'll get Zoom bombs. Yeah, luckily that hasn't happened to be yet on the show, but I'm almost kind of welcoming it. I think it would be a nice little wrinkle in one of these episodes. So if you know how to Zoom bomb, I'm not going to tell you when I'm doing it, but uh, if you happen to catch me at the right time, then you know I won't be too upset. <laughs> but thanks again, Rose, for, for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Make sure you stay safe, stay sane, talk to your folks, talk to your friends, and Absolutely. We'll, we'll get through this together. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. It was nice talking to you.